So I want to do some teaching on the, the biblical role of elders and pastors, clear up some confusion here. Obviously, we're using separate titles here in the church. We decided it would be wise as a church to take a straw poll before we give the title associate pastor, yet there was no straw poll taken for Ross. Um, one's paid, one's not paid. I mean, there's, there's these differences, but what does the Bible have to say about these offices? I want to say up front, this is kind of where we're going, is that for all intent and purposes, there are not a whole lot of differences between a pastor and an elder biblically. They're both leaders in the church who shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. The qualifications are the same. We go to 1 Timothy 3 and again in Titus to see those qualifications. And so the qualifications tell us a lot about the role of pastor and elder. It really comes down to just a preference of how we assign those titles in the church. What we do recognize as Country Oaks, if we want to be a biblical New Testament church, then the Bible must be our guide for all of our faith and our practice. And when it comes to church leadership, historically, Christians have decided on other ways to set up church leadership. In the recent history of the Southern Baptist Convention, most churches had settled on congregational polity. Everyone who's a member of the church was, would vote on everything. And I've heard the stories, and everything is everything. And business meetings would last a long time, and there would be arguments over things as mundane as color of the carpet, number of chairs that are set out, what should be served at the potluck, etc., etc. And, sadly, politicking behind the scenes would happen, especially when a vote on something major like a new pastor came up. People who hadn't been to church in a long time, not serving the church, not using their gifts in the church, not financially supporting the church, suddenly would come out of the woodwork when it was time to vote on important matters. Early in this church's history, as they were searching the scriptures and getting uh, counsel from professors at Master's College, it was decided that this would be an elder-ruled church, which back in the day was um, somewhat, I wouldn't say scandalous, but the Kern County Southern Baptist Association, it raised an eyebrow, I hear. Now, I think, in the last 10, 20 years, elder rule is becoming the norm. People are recognizing that this is the way the Bible has laid out to have leaders in the church and see the benefits of doing this God's way. Not that we do things God's way when we decide it's beneficial. We do things God's way because it's God's church. It's Christ's church. And so this has been an elder rule church since its inception. When we look at the qualifications for eldership in 1 Timothy 3, 
we see this word translated overseer used, which is kind of a generic word for pastors and elders. Overseer. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Notice most of those qualifications have to do with character. That ought to tell you a lot. But the overseer must also be able to teach. And we'll see in other passages that it is the primary responsibility of an overseer to teach the Word of God, to shepherd God's people with the Word of God, to feed the flock with the Word of God, to protect the church from false doctrine, to counsel people using the Word of God. Ross is a good guy. He's got a lot of advice he could give you, certainly, but that's not what an elder does. An elder opens the Word of God and brings the Word of God to bear on the lives of people. Therefore, it's important that an elder, whether it's a pastor or not, be able to handle the Word of God. It's not just knowing sound doctrine. There is an enormous night and day difference between knowing sound doctrine and knowing how to handle the Word of God so that you arrive at sound doctrine. If sound doctrine stood alone, then we could all just memorize doctrinal statements, which isn't a bad idea to have a doctrinal statement and to have it memorized. But if you separate the doctrinal statement from proper interpretation of the Word of God, then you can change the doctrinal statement. And people do. To fit the needs of the age. But if we're handling the Word of God with, a, with um, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, the Bible says, we will all arrive at a pretty small package of, of doctrine. Oh, we might... Uh, disagree a little bit in in some areas, but for the most part, orthodox evangelicalism based in biblical truth is going to land in a pretty small circle. And so the overseer must know how to handle the Word of God, not just memorize doctrine. We could teach children to memorize doctrine, and we should. It's called catechizing them. But you shouldn't stop at catechizing your children. As they get older and their brains develop, you should teach them where did these doctrines come from? How did we get there in the Bible? If all the doctrinal statements were lost and all we had was the Word of God, would the people of God know how to get back to the doctrinal statement using the Word of God? That is what we are after. And so... Ross has demonstrated that he is able to handle the Word of God. He's, he's taught 
Sunday school for many years. He's led small groups in his home. He came to our discipleship class that Nathan and I taught last year, and there were optional papers that you could write at the end, and he chose to write those papers, and they were really seminary-quality papers, I believe. Maybe not all the footnotes and all the margin settings, but his doctrine is sound. Likewise, Craig can handle the Word of God. He's got an additional training in biblical counseling, which is much different than just counseling. Craig likes to call it rightly one-on-one preaching. You may not see him up here in the pulpit preaching sermons very often, and we'll, we'll get to that later. That is one of the distinctions between what um, some elders do versus what some other elders do. But he is gifted at handling the Scriptures in a one-on-one counseling basis. That is very much being able to teach. So let's look at what is widely regarded as the best source for information on eldership outside of the Bible because he uses the Bible to write his book, Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strau. You may have heard him as Alexander Strock. I met the man. He says he's quite certain he knows how to pronounce his own name. It's uh, Alexander Strau. The biblical role of an elder. Elders lead the church. And he's got scripture references here. Teach and preach the word. Protect the church from false doctrine or from false teachers. Exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. Look at that. The first three roles. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Visit the sick and pray. Judge doctrinal issues. Back to doctrine. In biblical terminology, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. Obviously, they must be men of character. Otherwise, they would bring reproach on the name of Christ. They would be hard to follow as your leaders. They would set a poor example. We would have no confidence that they could actually teach us to do what Scripture says if they're not doing it themselves. Notice, though, none of the qualifications are full maturity perfection. Any man who thinks he's arrived to full perfection in Christ is a fool and has no business being on an elder board or leading anyone for that matter. So we're not looking for perfect men. We're looking for humble men. Humble men who know they need shepherding themselves even after they get the title. They need shepherding themselves. There's one thing I want to make clear in the sermon today is God is absolutely clear that His people need to be shepherded. No man is an island. No woman is an island. It is prideful and foolish to say, well, the elders, they're they're good for, you know, deciding how to spend the church's money and that kind of stuff, but I don't really need them for counseling. You're a fool. I'm sorry, I'm just going to be blunt. We are weak. We are prideful. We are easily led astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
I put myself in the collective we. This is first person plural. I need shepherding. Pastors need shepherding. Elders need shepherding. The flock needs shepherding. He's like, well, if we all need shepherding, then how does that work? We follow the scriptures and God says, put faithful men in these positions to be under shepherds. But that doesn't make us the only shepherds. In the same way that a man is head of his household, he's got to help meet. They work together as a team. The elders don't lord it over the church. As you heard during the installation ceremony, like Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When we need shepherding the most is when we stop listening to God and obeying his word. That is why the shepherds of God's church need to know the word of God, need to know how to apply it into your lives. That's why this function is critical. Now notice one of the qualifications is that he manages his own household well. So that does tell us that one of the duties of an elder is to manage the household of God. And that sometimes means administrative, a budget. But most of that is delegated. Most of that should be delegated. In fact, that is the chief reason that Craig Bauer came on staff this church years ago. Was to free up Andy to be able to study and preach the word of God and not have to think about all of the administrative things. Certainly... Craig's gifting, great administrator. But he's also a a wonderful shepherd. And as he grew in Christ and grew in the Lord and grew in the knowledge of the Word of God, people just started coming to him without the title. There'd be weeks when I'm like, you met with more people than I did. Not that I'm jealous because uh, those sessions are hard. They take their toll on you. They, They wear you out, right? And he would say, well, I've been around here a lot longer. People are comfortable with me. And I'm like, well, that's sweet of you. But you're too humble. Or people would come for administrative questions. But it it always, that was where the meeting started. And it turned into an unofficial counseling session. And so we see the call of God on his life. He recognized he needed more training in this area. And so he got his official training, and now he has the title associate pastor, though he's probably been doing the function for a long time. People don't become elders or pastors when they get the title. We look for people who are, have a heart to shepherd God's people. They have to do it. Even if they don't have the title, when they see someone hurting, when they see someone straying from the flock, When they hear that question in Genesis from Cain, am I my brother's keeper? They say, yes, I am my brother's keeper. And so those are the kind of people we look to to be our elders and pastors. So if that's the role of the elder, then what's left for the the pastor? What's the biblical role of the pastor? Well, it's the same role because they're the same people. 
John Piper argues that elder and pastor are not two different offices. He gives three reasons. In Acts 20, 28, elders are exhorted in the pastoral duties of shepherding and overseeing. And it's not like you see in that passage a pastor going, hey, wait, that's my job. In 1 Peter 5, elders are exhorted to shepherd the flock of God. Hey, wait, I'm the pastor, that's my job. In Ephesians 4.11, which is the only time the word pastor is used in the New Testament, it comes in a list of offices that Christ has given the church to mature the saints. Ephesians 4.11 reads, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And there's a little bit of dispute in the Greek whether that should read some as pastor teachers or some as pastors, comma, and teachers. So is it four offices or five? I take the position that it's more of a hyphenated pastor teacher. That we recognize that some men have a special gifting to be pastor-teachers. All pastors teach, all elders teach. Some, though, have a special gifting to teach and preach from the pulpit. And the church has recognized that through the centuries. However, that doesn't mean that it's just the pastor that takes care of the flock. And let's think about this pragmatically. Even with the addition of Craig, which makes three, how are three men going to care for all of you? And this is only second service. So we would like for you to think of your pastors and elders all as pastors. So when Pastor Mike visits you in the hospital, a pastor came to visit. Well, no, that was an elder. My pastor didn't come. He doesn't care about me. That's not true. Though I do try to make it, it's just difficult. If they'd finish this hospital up here, that would help. But like the proverbial uh, chicken who lays the egg on the a-frame roof, and you don't know which way it's going to roll. Some of you roll on down to AV, and some of you roll on down to Bakersfield. And it's hard to, to get to both sides of the mountain. And some of you roll all the way to UCLA. And some of you roll all the way up to Children's Hospital. But we generally, somebody will be there. Somebody from the pastoral team will visit, and more often than not, somebody outside the official pastoral team because we're all called to pastor, right? We're all called to pastor, to take care of one another. And the better you know someone intimately, the better you can shepherd them. So it would be impossible for three men to know everybody that intimately in a church this size. 
Likewise, it would be unreasonable even in a small church where sometimes they have one pastor and they expect him to do everything. The solo pastor in the church of a hundred gets burned out just as easily as the pastor on a team of pastors in a mega church. And so what we need to do is start recognizing all of our elders as pastors in this sense and one another as pastors. We've always said from the pulpit that parents are pastors of their homes. Amen? We see the home as a microchurch. You gather for worship of God. You read the Word. You teach the Word. You pray together. You meet one another's needs. Starting to sound a lot like a church. Which is exactly why one of the qualifications for eldership is that you manage your own home well. We manage the church in the same way a good Christian home should be managed. Where we run afoul is when we start seeing the church as a business. Yes, in many regards it is like a business. But when that becomes our primary view of the church, and if you view your home as a business, it will be lacking in tenderness, in love, in adoration of Christ. You might run a well-oiled machine at home. But if there's no love, then what does Paul say? It's just a what? A clanging cymbal, a sounding gong, just noise. So then, why do we treat Elder and pastor as separate offices. Well, we really shouldn't. It's actually better to think of all your elders and pastors as shepherds, overseers. So you've got myself and Nathan and Craig and Mike Borsier and Jim Davis and Jim Boyd and Rich Engel and Ross Amato. I lost count, but it's more than three pastors. That's the point. You have more than three pastors. Traditionally, though, the church has recognized that some men should be paid by the church as their full-time vocation so that they can concentrate on studying the Word and overseeing the daily affairs of the church and pastoral needs of the flock. And since the Bible uses the title pastor-teacher in Ephesians 4, the title pastor has kind of stuck It's been reserved for those men because they do handle the bulk of the teaching. They they have, they're not um, distracted with having to work a full-time job. And so we needed a title for those men. We call them pastors, but now the unfortunate byproduct of calling them pastors is we think we only have two pastors or three pastors when really we have a whole board of pastors. So it's okay to use the title, but make sure you define the title biblically. I'm, me and Craig and Nathan are not your only pastors. We're not your only pastors. So some churches will use the title pastor for almost any role in the church. You could have a um, pastor of business operations, which often they call an executive pastor. A 
pastor of assimilation, a pastor of this, a pastor of that. That's okay. They could, they could use those titles. As for now, we're reserving the title at Country Oaks for men who have finished special training in the area of handling God's Word for full-time ministry. But it doesn't mean you'll see Craig in the pulpit very often preaching. Though he could, he recognizes it's not his um, central gifting. And so Nathan and I will split most of the time in the pulpit, though occasionally we'll have other elders in the pulpit, which we did tell you, Ross, before you agreed to be an elder. So that'll be exciting this year to see some of our elders bringing the Word of God. And it's important so that we don't put all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak. If you mostly only see me in the pulpit, then the church could end up rising and falling based on my health or my attitude or my obedience to Christ. They often say, as the senior pastor goes, so goes the congregation, and it shouldn't be that way. We need to spread that responsibility out amongst all the elders. And so, That's not going to happen if you don't see the elders up front. So we have them serving Lord's Supper. You'll you'll be seeing them preach. Just to help us remember that we have other pastors. This is a good thing. We'll have elder meetings that will go like this. And Mike will say, let's say Pastor Brent gets hit by a bus tomorrow. And I'm always like, why is it always me getting hit by a bus? It used to be, what if we got a heavy snow and we couldn't get out of Bear Valley? Who would preach? But I think Mike's thinking, worst case scenario, what if... (laughs) Well, then we could say, the Lord called one of our pastors home. Not, the Lord called our only pastor home. And then it wouldn't be devastating to the flock. Like it was recently up in Seattle where Mark Driscoll's church really dissolved after he was disqualified from pastoral ministry. He was the man. He was the character. He was the, the figurehead of the church. I think we already do well in this area, but we could do better. And one of the great testimonies to uh, the faithful practice of the way God has laid out biblical leadership in our church was that uh, we survived a transition as, as Andy moved into retirement. Y- y'all stayed. And that blessed Andy's heart. Bless the Lord's heart. Bless my heart. You don't understand the kind of pressure that takes off of the pastor knowing that the success of the church doesn't rise or fall on the pulpit pastor's shoulders. It rises and falls on our corporate fidelity. And when one of us falls, there's many there to pick us up. Right? Two are better than one, and a three-strand cord is not easily broken. So then, is it biblical at all to se- separate these two offices? 
Well, it's not biblical to draw too sharp of a line between elders and pastors. And, and the unfortunate byproduct of using the separate titles, again, is that we've confused the roles of pastor and elder. And in many churches, they see their elders as the business leaders of the church and the pastors handle all the spiritual things. But biblically, especially in the opening chapters of Acts, what were the elders doing? They were focused on the Word of God and prayer. Word of God and prayer. Hey, we've got a problem with distributing to the widows. Get some deacons together and have them figure it out. We need to concentrate on the Word of God and prayer. And so, the elders, that includes those with the title pastor, are dedicated to studying the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, protecting the church from false doctrine, praying for the members of the church. It is biblical, though, to set apart certain men with the qualifications of an elder, so nobody becomes a pastor without the qualifications of eldership, to be financially supported by the church for full-time ministry. Paul says, don't muzzle the ox when he's treading the grain. I'm the least oxy person you'll ever see, but that's beside the point. Paul didn't take a salary only because he didn't want to be accused of preaching the gospel for financial gain. The Lord supported his ministry financially through other means. So at COBC, we've adopted the historical title pastor to designate these men who are on full-time staff. But the role of pastor and elder generally is exactly the same. We will probably keep that designation the same and try to find ways to help the flock remember that all of your elders are pastors. Some churches have found that the only way to retrain their flock is to call all of their elders pastors. And I don't think it would be wrong for you to call Ross Pastor Ross or Mike Pastor Mike. Those titles are acceptable. I won't get offended. I won't get territorial. Hey, four years of seminary for that title. It's God's church. They're just titles that help us understand that we need to be shepherded. We need to be pastored. What about lay elders versus staff elders? Well, obviously these are not biblical titles at all, but we need some designation between who is a paid elder and who is a non-paid elder. So we use the term lay elder for the non-paid, staff elder for the paid. And it's important to draw a distinction because there's some things that it makes sense that the paid elders not handle, like my own salary. Would you like me designating my own salary? That's not good. That's a recipe for disaster. Or hiring and firing of myself. So I'm on the elder board, but those fall under the lay elder designation in our constitution and bylaws. Though lay elder and staff elder, you won't find those words, I think, 
I was reading through the Constitution and Bylaws. It's certainly there, especially in Section 4-9, where it says that the uh, non-paid elders will handle uh, salaries and hiring and firing. So when those things come up in a meeting, um, the paid elders recuse themselves from the board. Currently, I'm the only paid elder on, on the board, so I just step out of my office, literally, uh, the, uh, the elder board tables in my office. So I just say, good night, guys, and they let me know how it turned out. So then, how should the church think about the role of pastors and elders? What, what should we say then? I think I've made it clear, but I just will recap. God has made it clear that he wants each church body, each local church body, to be shepherded by qualified men. He's laid out the qualifications in the Bible. He's also made it clear that each of us needs shepherding. Why have shepherds if we don't need shepherding? You see, when the role becomes strictly trustees of the church that make financial decisions, then it leads us to believe that we don't actually need shepherding. Well, occasionally I might need to come in for counseling. I'll make an appointment. Folks, we need shepherding all the time. Our hearts are prone to wander. We deceive ourselves. We think we see reality, and that's the way it is. We need to be shepherded. I need to be shepherded. If you haven't built these relationships with your shepherd, then when you get sideways, it's almost too late. When you need someone that you trust to say, hey, brother or sister, you, <laughs> you are on the wrong track. If you have a relationship with this person and you trust them and you've gone to them and said, hey, what do you see in my life? Not when you're in crisis, but actually when you feel like everything's going well. Get a cup of coffee with with your shepherd. Be in a small group with one of these shepherds. Be in an adult Bible fellowship Sunday morning with one of these shepherds. Invite them over to your house for dinner. You're intentionally saying, I trust God when he says, I don't have my act together. I need somebody watching over my soul. If that's what God says is true about me, then I will be obedient and build relationships with people who can shepherd me. Not an echo chamber. Not just friends who laugh at all my jokes. But people who will hold me Accountable. This is what we mean by accountability, not, you know, the, the typical accountability where, like, how are you doing on the Internet? Well, yeah, we need that too. But we're not talking about I need a, a parole officer or a correctional officer, though there's a lot of good ones here, watching over me in that sense. It's I need a friend in Christ who loves me, knows God's Word, and will help me walk this Christian walk, will walk with me. Therefore, number two, then, we should then submit to these leaders. And that submission word is scary for people. But I have never seen the elders of this church lord it over the flock. It's not like you're going to get a call and say, we've decided you're running VBS this summer. 
The Bible says submit to your leaders. Submit to your leadership means exactly what I've been describing. Humble yourself and say, I, like everyone else, need leadership in my life. I need shepherding. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Especially think of these men who aren't paid full time. What would compel a man to give up this kind of time and put himself under this kind of pressure and stress to take care of people who aren't his own flesh and blood? It's only the love of Christ that would compel a man to do that. If we make the job taking care of the building and deciding how the money's spent, oh, lots of guys will sign up for that. But that's not what it means to be an elder. You are going to die to self and lay down your life for the people of this church because of your love for Christ. Because he laid down his life for you. And when you went astray from the flock, Jesus came after you. And that's what elders do. So if that's the kind of men we have on the board, and indeed we do, then gladly submit to their shepherding. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Don't make it hard for them to shepherd you. Don't hide. Don't avoid. Don't say, I don't need shepherding. These are the situations that are most grievous for the elders. When we have to reach out to someone who is uh, biting back, as it were. The sheep bite, right? I'm a sheep. I bite sometimes. And I'm thankful that people continue to love me, even though I was putting up walls. But how much easier for our elders if you don't put up those walls? Number three, then, Since the primary role of elders and pastors is to shepherd the flock, we should not think of the elders and pastors primarily as business trustees, though managing the church is one role of eldership, and often we delegate that task to others, especially the people who are here eight hours a day, five days a week. Get out, get out of your mind that the elders are the business managers of the church. They're the shepherds. They're the pastors. No, that's, that's what Pastor Brent and Nathan and Craig do. No, that's what we all do as a pastoral team. I love how Craig says that when he comes to the pulpit. Hi, I'm Craig Bauer, part of the pastoral team. It's a team. So finally then, we should then be building relationships with our elders And pastors, knowing we will all need spiritual guidance. And that doesn't mean someday. Well, I guess someday I might go off the rails. No, like, we're prone to going off the rails all the time. And by the time you've figured out you've gone off the rails, it's probably been going on for a long time. If the main task of the elder is doctrine... And God says, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's Word isn't, it doesn't say it's, it's good for making doctrinal statements. It's good for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. These, this is shepherding. So you're like, I, I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe the Word of God is inerrant. I believe it's God's Word. I believe it's the only infallible Word for faith and life. But I don't really uh, know who my elders are and don't really need them as long as there's a chair to sit in and they're doing their job. <laughs> no. You've got it wrong. So if you don't know who your elders are, reach out, reach out to them, invite them over, have a cup of coffee, invite them to dinner, get to know them, get to know more than one in case the one that you picked out gets hit by a bus. <laughs> and ask your elders, who shepherds you? Keep us accountable. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, to teach us sound doctrine, to lead us into the way of salvation, and to give his life for us. Thank you for giving the church good, good leaders. May they be like Christ in all these ways. May each of us recognize from your word that we need to be shepherded and submit to this shepherding cheerfully, gladly, expectantly and your name will be praised and your church will prosper and we will be more effective in fulfilling the great commission i pray in jesus name amen amen god bless you have a great week